Okay. Thank you all. Uh, I, I'm I'm a little nervous. I, I I don't get that nervous, but I'm I'm doing something a little different, and I feel like the topic this morning is a little different. And uh, you'll see in a few minutes. Uh, uh, you know, sermons are lots of different things. I th- I think I've mentioned that before. Ser- sermons are all sorts of things. Sometimes it's 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 more teaching based, and you're just kind of walking through a passage line by line, or you're talking about the Greek or the Hebrew, and there's kind of there's a, there's a teaching element, uh, and a, it, but but sometimes it's you know sometimes it's encouragement, sometimes it's kind of a prophetic voice speaking into some sort of broken cultural system. Uh, pre- preaching can be lots of different things. Today, I would say it's kind of equal parts confusion and equal parts. Uh, encouragement. So uh, uh, it feels a little chaotic to me and uh, all over the place uh, and I've uh, kind of done that on purpose. I, I think, I, I hope you'll see why. So, uh, so we're in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in our, in our lectionary this morning. It's one of our passages at least. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, verses 1 through 12 in a uh, I find this to be a weird passage, and I don't really know what it means, uh, and yet I'm up here preaching about it. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Uh, All right, so let's read this. Uh, Skipping kind of the first line. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare uh, God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. For God has revealed them to us by his Spirit." The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except that, person, uh, that person's own spirit within him. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, and that, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Okay, that's a mouthful. Uh, who knows what's going on? All right, me either. Uh, uh, which... I kind of think is the point, and I'll say more about that in a few moments. Um, uh, I'm going to lace in throughout the script, throughout the sermon this morning. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to mention him, talk about him a few different times. Uh, but there's a there's a writer, uh, theologian, philosopher named Peter Rollins who I've come to to love, and uh, and so I'm going to be mentioning him a, a number of times throughout the sermon. He's going to keep coming up. But the first time, the first time I ever heard Peter Rollins speak uh, was at a conference, a preaching conference in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I, I, I think I had read his first book by that time. I, I was kind of aware of who he was, 
but hardly anyone else was maybe. It didn't seem like he was all that, that popular, and, and in some ways still isn't today. Uh, but the first time I ever heard him speak was at this conference in, in Grand Rapids, and this guy was crazy, like kind of manic crazy. He was on the stage. Most of, most of the conference was, uh, was led by Rob Bell, this, this preaching conference. But Peter had a couple different sessions where he, he gave like hour-long lectures. And each time he came up on the stage, I was just thinking, this guy is nuts. Like, he is insane. He's got this like long, kind of thin, stringy hair, and he's running his hands through, through his hair the entire talk, and he's all over the stage, and he's walking around, and he's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. He's brilliant and profound and the content was so good but he was like he's like ADHD up on the stage he was all over the place and just wild and running his hands through his hair and he's got this this thick Irish accent he's he's kind of hard to understand this is beautiful accent but he's kind of difficult to understand as it is and so it's just this manic experience and I remember sitting in like the I don't know third or fourth row of the first balcony just thinking What's going on here? This guy is nuts. He's crazy. But he's brilliant. And he was so good. And he continued to write... he continued to write books. He continued to, to become a bigger name. And I, and I continued to read them and continued to be uh, uh, moved by him, touched by, by his writing. And so a few years later in seminary, there were a few friends, friends of mine in seminary, and, and we were kind of started this little reading group. Uh, just, there were four of us, and we would get together and read books, and we were reading one of his books. And at a certain point as we are reading, uh, we thought... And we should like give him a call or shoot him an email and see if he would just come out and hang out with us. And so we did that, and he totally did. He actually flew. He was living on the East Coast at the time, and he flew to Seattle, and he stayed in my friend's apartment, and we hung out with him for like three days. And we set up this big lecture for a couple hundred people from our school and the city came. Uh, but for the most part, it was just us four and Peter hanging out for, for the weekend. And it was... Uh, the first time that we got together, we all met at this, uh, at this burger joint, and we're eating burgers and drinking cold beverages, and we're sitting across the table from this guy, I'm sitting right across the table from him, and he's super normal. He's, he was really normal, and I was like, where was this guy that was like manic on the stage and was going nuts and crazy? Like, what's, what's the difference here? And, and I'm like trying to processing this, like I thought you'd be a little crazier. And he still talked fast, and he was still brilliant. But he was, like, fairly composed. And uh, throughout the weekend, at one point, I asked him about that. I was just kind of curious. And I said, you know, the first time I saw you, you were kind of nuts up on stage there. And, uh, And he actually said that he does that deliberately. He said that that's a, that's a choice that he's, he's made, or, or that at least at that season when he was talking about these ideas, he was actually making that choice that it was almost a performance art. That he was on stage and he was acting a certain way, almost as performance art, a, as a, further, a way of further communicating his message. He's kind of a disorienting kind of guy in, in thought. His content is kind of disorienting. It, it ruptures you, it makes you think, it challenges uh, certain theological norms that you have. Uh, he, he's, he's kind of breaking you down so that it can help build you back up. And so he said, I actually, I actually do that on stage so that you kind of feel the disorientation. I actually want people to viscerally feel the chaos because that's what my content is about. 
So he's trying to communicate that disorientation even in his delivery style because the medium is the message. Right? Have you heard this phrase before? The medium is the message. This is a phrase that was coined uh, by a social psychologist named Marshall McLuhan, this media theory expert. And, uh, and so McLuhan, he said that the medium is the message. He's arguing that communication isn't just about content, uh, but it's also about delivery. Because how we communicate tells as much as what we communicate. The way that we share things, the vehicle through which the content travels to arrive at the listener is as important and tells as great of a message as the content actually does. Which is why we all know that a phrase like, do as I say, not as I do, even though we've probably all said it at some point in our life, we all know a phrase like that is total garbage. Right? We actually know that, even though we say it, because the medium is the message. If I'm doing a certain thing and then telling you to do a different thing, the message isn't going to get across very well. Correct? I'm not saying anything terribly profound right now. So a, a, a statement like that makes no sense, because I think even kids understand that if, if you're not... If you're not living out the message, if you're not carrying the message through the delivery style that's congruent with the actual content of the message, then it, it makes no sense. Like, there's hypocrisy there. The medium is the message. So to get back to our text from this morning, I actually think that this is what Paul is doing in our passage this morning. I think that Paul is trying to make a point about God But he isn't just communicating the message through the content. He's also using a confusing writing style to make his point. I actually think that he's being deliberately chaotic. Deliberately kind of disorienting uh, in the way that he's writing in order to make the point that he's trying to make. He's talking, the content here is essentially that he's talking about the overwhelming mystery and wonder of God, right? If we wanted to try to boil down this passage, he's talking about the overwhelming mystery and wonder of God, and yet Paul knows enough to know that if God is so mysterious, I'm not going to be able to talk about him very clearly. So he says things in the passage that we just read, like, like I can't speak eloquently about him. There, there's no human wisdom that will capture the essence of God. He, he resolves to know nothing about God other than the bare bones, essentially. Uh, he approaches the whole topic in weakness, fear, and trembling. His words aren't wise or persuasive. He's talking about the overwhelming mystery and wonder of God, by overwhelming us with a massive run-on sentence about God's greatness and our inability to comprehend him. I think it's a brilliant technique. I think what he's doing is brilliant. It's, it's such a simple concept that God is good and big and overwhelming and yet such a staggeringly difficult concept to grasp. So Paul just overwhelms us with language about an overwhelming idea about an overwhelming God. He's like, I'm not going to be able to say this well. There's no thesis here. There's there's no way that I can lecture about this where you will, oh yes, now I fully understand the incomprehensible. There's no way to do that. So how about I just overwhelm you with language 
Uh, and you will feel viscerally in your gut as you read it, like, huh, what's going on there? As a, a teaching technique, as, as a pedagogical way of, of trying to convey the content. Uh, which leads us uh, once more back to our, friends, uh, our friend Peter Rollins. Uh, I want to talk theology just for a minute here. Um, so last summer I was listening to a, a podcast and, and uh, Rob, Bell, or, uh, Rob Bell was interviewing uh, Peter Rollins about God, essentially. What can we say about God? And that was the point of, of the podcast. Was, was, uh, Peter was giving these four ways that we can look at God. How can we understand who God is and what he does? Uh, and so uh, in the podcast, I just want to talk about two really briefly. The first thing that Peter uh, pointed out in the podcast is that... Uh, the, the first the way that we can think about God, and I think it's a, an unhelpful way of thinking about God, and, and I think it's an unorthodox way of thinking about God, uh, but it's one that we do all too often, is that we think about God as a super being. God as super being. And, and what, what Peter means by this uh, is that however we view ourselves, we tend to project uh, characteristics onto God that are just infinitely bigger than however we view ourselves. Whatever we value, whatever we think is great in the world, we tend to just think of God as being, he's just better at that. If I value love, God is infinitely loving. If I value mercy, God is infinitely mercy, merciful. It, if I value just things being fair and right and wrong and people getting what's coming to them, then God tends to suddenly start to value those things too. We tend to project onto the super being some sort of superpowers, whatever we deem as being important. Uh, Love, mercy, judgment, anger, whatever it is, God is the super being. He's just infinitely better than us at whatever we think is important. and, and I think that's kind of an unhelpful way of thinking about God. I don't think that's a complete way of thinking about God. I think there's a better way, the better way, in, in my opinion, a more orthodox way uh, of thinking about God is what Peter calls God as hyper-being. All right, so I, I know I'm in the weeds here. I understand. But, but try, to, try to follow with me. God as hyper-being. So what he's arguing is that God is bigger, better, greater than anything we could ever imagine. Not just that like, he's infinitely great at the things that we can imagine, that he's actually beyond even that level. Uh, Peter actually says, that, and, and I agree with him, that humans have the ability to conceive of, uh, of a way of thinking that is actually beyond our, our conception. We have a, the ability to conceive of something that's actually unconceivable, uh, the, the capacity to conceive of a world that is beyond anything we could actually conceive of. And, and Peter is arguing that that's actually where God exists, is beyond even the thing that we could even imagine exists. He's out there even further than that. Uh, so so uh, God is hyper-being, so that says that God lives there, beyond what we can conceive of. We can try our best... But anytime we think we have a corner on who God is, I guarantee you we don't. Anytime we think, oh yeah, I think I, think I kind of got it figured out. I think I kind of know what God likes and who, what God is like and who, who God loves. I guarantee you we're selling him short. Because he's greater, bigger, beyond anything we could even conceive of. 
He's way, way bigger than that. Which is why Meister Eckhart says something like, God rid me of God. It's not an atheistic thing. It's saying, God, get rid of any preconceptions that I have of you. Get rid of any ways that I'm trying to understand you that aren't helpful. Because you're way bigger than that. You're way better than that. You're way beyond my, my vision of who you are. You're, you're way better than that. It's why scripture is laced with poetry and song. Uh, it's people trying their best to communicate some words about God, knowing that a lecture or a thesis would never do. So, so they're striving, they're writing poetry, they're writing songs as a way to try to capture something about a God that is essentially uncapturable. Like, we can't capture him, and so my best effort is maybe poetry. It's why there are so many names for God in Scripture. Because people are trying their best to say some things about God, and yet not one name will fully suffice. So we need multiple ways of talking about God. In fact, these multiple names actually protect us from ever thinking that we have a handle on who God is. In one breath, we talk about God as, as being the warrior, and in the very next verse, suddenly he's a peacemaker who's against war. Or we talk about God as the ultimate judge, and then in the next verse, he's merciful. And how do I, how do I pigeonhole this, this person? Uh, in one verse, we, we think of where we use metaphors of God as man, and then in the next verse, there's these images of God as woman, and all these feminine characteristics, uh, because God is uncapturable. He's way beyond that, way beyond anything that we could ever uh, imagine. Uh, Peter Rollins says that God is that about which nothing can be said, and God is that about which we should never stop talking. Uh, we try to say some things knowing full well that our words will always fall short. We will never capture it. Uh, and that's actually okay. That's actually good. He uses an example of going to an art museum. And uh, if you know what you're doing when you enter into an art museum uh, and and you're you're looking at a painting, if you kind of know what you're doing, you know enough not to ask the question, what does it mean? You know enough to... That's not, a, that's not a, actually that helpful of a question. What does this painting mean? A better question is, do I love it? Like, am I caught up in it? Does it do something to me? Knowing full well that the next time I come in the museum and look at the exact same painting, I might hate it, but it's going to do something else to me. It might do something totally different the very next time. We don't, we don't look at a piece of art and say, what does it mean? Because that's not a helpful question. Am I caught up in it? Does it speak to me? It's overflowing with meaning. And so am I taken up with how profound it is, with how profound the moment is? And God as hyper-being encourages us to think about God the same way. Am I caught up in something that's way beyond anything I could ever imagine? I don't look at God and say, what does it mean? Or what does it do? Or what is it like? It's A better question is, do I love it? Am I taken up? Am I caught up in something that's bigger than me? We're not trying to get God. We're not trying to understand God. We want God to get us. We want God to capture us in some sort of way, knowing full well that we could never capture him. God is hyper-being. 
So I think this is the idea of God, the the way of seeing God that Paul is speaking about in our passage this morning. God is beyond our grasp. He's out of our control. He's unable to be cornered and understood. And to be clear, that is not bad news. That's actually quite good news. It's great news for us that God is unable to be captured by human words or thoughts. It's actually great news because he's so much bigger, better, greater than that. And so I just want to remind us of that this morning. It's kind of a simple message, one I don't understand, and yet I want to try to convey. Uh, I want to remind us all that God is infinitely bigger, better, greater than anything we could ever imagine. He's incredible beyond belief. He's more loving than we deserve. He's more complex than the human mind can conceive. He is overwhelming in his vastness and depth and grace and love. And Paul gets this and feels no obligation to try and understand it. He actually doesn't seem to care too much. He just goes with God's greatness. He just runs with it. Uh, so a couple quick thoughts as, as we close. Uh, what should our response to this be? Uh, so just a few things. I think the first response, the most natural response, is not despair that we can never capture what God is. That, that's, that's not the response. I think our, our first response should be humility. I think this should create in us a sense of humility that comes from being overwhelmed by the mystery and wonder of God. He's greater than anything I could ever imagine, and I find myself hitting my knees in humble worship, knowing that this, this person, this thing is fantastic beyond anything I could ever imagine. And my only response can be one of worship and praise and prayer. Thank you, God. I, I know nothing else to say. I'm speechless. I'm overwhelmed by you. Uh, I think that we demonstrate God's greatness in our humble weakness by not having some sort of preconceived notion of who he is and trying to grasp him in all of his entirety. Uh, I think that we share the message of God to the world we're called to with, with a fear and a trembling, allowing the world to encounter God through our, our awe-inspired and humbling encounter with God. I think we, we enter the world in humility. We enter the world being overwhelmed by God, and we allow people to encounter God through our being overwhelmed. Uh, I'm caught up in something that's bigger than myself, and I can't help but share about it yet knowing I should do so with humility because I can't capture what he's about. I don't know. He's bigger than anything I could ever conceive. Uh, so we, we don't enter as know-it-alls. We, we don't boast in ourselves. We boast in Christ crucified. And we let God speak for himself. So that's the first thing. I think it creates in us a humility. And the second thing I would say, uh, kind of changing gears just a little bit, but coming back to this, the medium is the message. Is, is a passage like this reminds me that we, essentially, we are being called to be the medium that tells the message. If God is an astounding and overwhelming God that baffles with his goodness and surprises with his grace, then we tell this story best through being caught up ourselves in the wonderment of God and humbly yet boldly confessing that God is shockingly good and beautiful and merciful and comforting. One more time. If God is an astounding and overwhelming God 
that baffles with his goodness and surprises with his grace, then we can best tell his story through being caught up in it, in the wonderment of God, and humbly confessing that God is shockingly good and beautiful and merciful and comforting, and we have no idea why, and I couldn't put it into words, and yet it's true. And I know it to be true because I've been overwhelmed by it. I've been astounded by it. Uh, So come and join us in the journey. I think it's the best way we could tell God's story. So, may we be overwhelmed by God. Caught up in something bigger, better, and greater than we could ever imagine. And may we commit to being the medium that carries the message of the incredible, astounding, overwhelming, preposterous, ridiculous, unbelievable, unimaginable, shocking, surprising, wondrous, staggering, stunning, amazing, mysterious goodness of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you overwhelm us. Uh, And it can scare us. Uh, It can cause doubt and fear within us that you are hard to grasp and we don't know how to talk about you at times and we don't know how to explain you to our friends and our family who desperately need Jesus. And yet we shouldn't be scared by that. We should actually embrace it. We should embrace your overwhelming strength and power. We should embrace your overwhelming goodness that confounds us, that astounds us, that captures us in something bigger than ourselves. Allow us to be caught up in your greatness, even though we can't understand it, even though, even though we fumble at putting our words together about it. Allow us to be transformed, transcended, consumed by something greater than ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, okay, so in keeping with the chaotic theme, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of take a risk this morning. I'm going to maybe do what church growth experts would say never to do. And uh, I'm going to invite you all to come forward and, uh, and stand around the altar. So let's do that now. <laughs>